would, out of love and reverence for God's word, would you stand with me as we read together? I'm going to read Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. Hear now God's word. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Father, you know us. In fact, you sent your son to know us and to understand us and to live lives just like us so that he might be able to sympathize with us. What a great marvelous truth. And you know that we are weak. You know that we are tempted. You know that we succumb to temptation. And so, Father, would you encourage us this morning with this truth that we have a Savior that was tempted in every way and yet without sin. Build us up in our holy faith. Help us to love you and adore you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, my favorite superhero was Superman. Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal man. Superman, who disguised as Clark Kent, mild manner reported, reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Superman was great for you know, all sorts of different things. Superhuman strength, x-ray vision, um, the ability to fly, pretty much everything a young guy would want. Uh, but what was really impressive was his near invincibility. Here, crash landing on Earth as a child, gets up completely unfazed. Bullets bounced off him like they were nothing. It was near invincibility, wasn't it? There was one thing, kryptonite, the radioactive material from his home planet of Krypton. This one thing and one thing only could reduce this Superman to something weak and mortal. But beloved, the almighty God of the universe has no weaknesses. No weaknesses. There is no kryptonite for the almighty God. We, we would say that he is omnipotent. That is all-powerful. He can do all his holy will. No one can stop him. No one can stand against him. There is no one that can do anything against him. And we know and we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is, was, and always will be the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so he has this omnipotence as part of his character. And yet we know our lives. We know that we are weak. We know that we are tempted. We are uh, harassed. We fail. And so when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he appears to be something that's wholly other than us. Like how could he possibly understand us? 
And we see this passage where it says that Jesus was tempted as we are, and it seems somewhat unbelievable to us because temptation, in order for it to be a true temptation, the temptation has to be tempting to the individual, and they have to have the ability to succumb to that temptation, or else it's not a real temptation. And we look at Jesus and we say, temptation, well, that's just like bullets bouncing off of his chest. How could it possibly be real? But beloved, the truth that we have to see in this passage is that our Lord Jesus Christ became like us in our weakness and truly submitted himself to truly be tempted for you and for me. In fact, he, it was necessary. It was necessary for him to be tempted so that he would know us and so that he would perfect us and so that we would be found faithful in him. So we'll consider this on three different aspects. We'll think about the possibility of his temptation, the necessity of his temptation, and the reality, the comprehensive reality of his temptation. So the passage says that he, uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to... Um, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in, who in every respect was, has been tempted as we are. James chapter 1 says this. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So if God cannot be tempted by evil, and if the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, even the God incarnate, the Emmanuel, is it, how, how could it possibly be true that the Lord Jesus Christ could truly be tempted? If he is God, God is not tempted, then Jesus clearly could not be tempted. But friends, the Lord Jesus Christ was not only the Son of God incarnate, but he was also the Son of Man. He was 100% man. We would say 100% God, 100% man, fully God and fully man. And we cannot whitewash over the reality of his humanity. He was truly a person like you and me and always will be. He, scripture says that he was born of a woman, born under the law. And so what we know is that he was born of a woman, so he became human. He became part of the weakness of human flesh. But he was also born under the law, under the law. That means that he, was, he subjected himself to the law. So if he was subjected to God's law, that means that he had to willingly submit himself to that law, which means he had a possibility of superseding that law. He had the possibility of breaking that law. So he could be tempted to break that law. But the reality is he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So there was a possibility by him taking on human flesh and submitting to the law. But it's not just possible, but it was necessary. It was necessary. Um, the writer of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So a high priest, a high priest was a, a character, a, a role that 
God set up in the Old Testament. A high priest was someone that was called by God to serve as a mediator between God and the, pe- God and the people. The high priest was somebody that was selected from among the people. And God welcomed this one individual into his presence. He had to be purified. He had to wear the right clothes. He had to go through this long process. And he was only allowed to come very very rarely, once a year. And this person was from among the people, one of the people that he was representing. And this high priest would represent the people to God. He would come into his presence to represent the people. And the high priest was selected from among the people because he was offering up prayers on behalf of the people. He was offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. And this person, this high priest, understood the weakness of the people because he was one of them. He was one of them. And one of the beautiful truths of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ was set apart by God to be our great high priest forever and ever. High priest in the Old Testament died, but the Lord Jesus Christ has the power of an indestructible life, Hebrews says. And Jesus was set apart to be this high priest, uh, a perfect high priest who would dwell in God's presence forever and ever, representing us forever and ever. But in order for him to do that, he had to understand our weakness, and he had to be one of us. And so it was necessary for him to take on human flesh, to become one of us, and to experience our weakness, even the weakness of our temptation. Um, But it was also necessary for him to be tempted, for him to really be our savior. Here's what I mean by that. Um, We are sinners in the sight of God, liable to God's wrath. And we are sinners because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created perfect, and God was in perfect fellowship with them, and they were tempted, and they fell. And in that fall, all of us were held liable. He, Adam represented all of us in his temptation. He was sinless, like Jesus who would come later, and yet Adam was tempted and fell. And so it was necessary for God to provide a second Adam, a second representative, which he did in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this second Adam had to be one of us. And so the Lord Jesus was born of a woman. He was born of Mary. And so he was fully human, and yet he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so he was holy. He was pure. He was without sin. And what we see in Scripture is that Jesus undergoes the same temptation that Adam did, that the, all of Israel did, and he's doing it on behalf of his people. And he's doing that for a couple of reasons. For the one thing, there is a debt, that, an infinite debt that must be paid for our salvation. We have sinned against the Almighty God. 
and there must be a, that, that debt must be paid, but only an infinite payment could be made. Only a pure and perfect spotless lamb could pay that price. And so Jesus must be pure. He cannot sin if he's going to be a suitable substitute. But our salvation isn't merely to pay a debt. There's also an aspect that we must have perfect obedience, perfect righteousness in our, um, as part of our salvation. And so the Lord Jesus Christ submits himself to God's law, is tempted to break God's law, and yet is obedient 100% of the time, every single time. He is doing that on behalf of all of us, you and me. When we put our faith in Christ, we are receiving not simply his payment of the debt for our sins, but we are also receiving his perfect obedience, his righteousness, his perfection in standing up in the midst of temptation, his active obedience to God's law. And so, beloved, that's, that's good news. That when it says that he was tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin, we know that we have a perfect representative. Whereas Adam was imperfect, the Lord Jesus was perfect. And it's a reminder that while we are tempted and we sin, there was one that represented us, was tempted as we are, and yet did not sin. So it was necessary because, so he would be our high priest. It was necessary so that he would be our savior. But let's consider for just a second about the, the comprehensive reality of that temptation for just a moment. The text says that we have a high priest who is one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. First um, Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a precious promise about um, temptation. And it says this, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when it says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, it's important for us to realize that that includes, that included the Lord Jesus Christ. That every temptation that you face Every temptation that you face, you have faced, you continue to face, was one that he subjected himself to on your behalf and on my behalf. There's not a single one, a single temptation that you face that, at least in the substance, he hasn't endured. He submitted himself to God's law and was tempted, I would argue, to break every single commandment. Let's just consider that for just a minute. So, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. We just read it from Matthew chapter 4. The devil took him to a high mountain and said, I will give you all the nations of the earth if you will only bow down and worship me. Jesus considered, do I want 
this eternal reign to begin now? Do I want the sub to subject this world to my rule at this point? And he said, no. You shall worship the Lord your God only, and him you shall serve. He resisted that temptation. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image in anything in the heaven above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth. Perhaps he was tempted. I am literally the savior of the world. I am the image of the almighty God and the exact representation of his being. There ought to be a monument in my honor that all the nations would know who God is. And yet he said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father will glorify me. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath, and I would submit to you that he routinely was tempted to break the Sabbath. He did not, but he perfectly kept the Sabbath to become our Sabbath rest. Number five, honor your father and mother. Kids, Lord Jesus Christ was a kid just like you and me. And from his early childhood years until his adult years, he struggled with rebelling against his parents. He looked at his parents and the people in authority and said they are not respectable. Maybe I shouldn't honor them. But then he said no. I will honor my father and my mother and submit to the authorities that are there. And at the cross, you see him, even at his moment of death, loving his mother, showing compassion and love for her. Number six, you shall not steal. Uh, he dined with tax collectors who were wealthy by stealing from their brothers and sisters. And perhaps he coveted breaking, he, he, he was tempted to covet under uh, uh, commandment number 10, but he did not. And he was thought, well, but if only I were to steal like them. But instead he said, store up treasures in heaven, and you cannot serve God and money. And number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Along with the tax collectors that he dined with, he also dined with prostitutes. So he was tempted to objectify these women or men, to gratify his own desires, and yet he loved them as his own flesh. He denied himself. He made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully, and he became the source of their salvation. And we could go on and on and on. He was tempted to hate the Pharisees through what they um, would do to him. He was tempted, as he was accused of becoming a drunkard or a glutton, he was tempted to use his words to tear down and to destroy. He was tempted to succumb to a fear of man and to neglect to proclaim the truth about himself. And yet, any and every temptation that you and I face, he faced it. And yet he stood faithful in the midst of that temptation. He experienced it, yet without sin, not even once. And I think there's a few things we ought to be encouraged by, actually quite a bit, but just a few we'll talk about. First is just 
a recognition that temptation in and of itself is not sin. And that ought to be an encouragement to you. If Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet Jesus didn't sin, then logically, temptation in and of itself is not sin. And that's important because if you are in Christ, you've been forgiven of sin, and the power of sin has been broken, and we are growing in our Christ-likeness, we are being sanctified and being made holy, and yet we continue to be tempted, even tempted to the sins that so easily entangle us, and we can be weighed down with a tremendous amount of guilt by the temptation itself, as though I have thought it, and so therefore it must be, I must have broken God's law. But that's not the case. The Lord Jesus Christ, um, God provided a way of escape, as we just read from 1 Corinthians 10. He provided a way of escape for the Lord Jesus as he was, attempt, as he was tempted, and Jesus escaped. And um, he gives you that same way of escape as well. The Lord Jesus Christ thought those thoughts that you think, and yet he took those thoughts captive and made them obedient so that he could walk in faithfulness. And that same spirit that dwelled in him, his own spirit, which gave him the power over the temptation, the power, that, uh, as Elder Broom read, to resist the devil, that same spirit dwells within you. You've been given that power to resist temptation. And, you, and each and every instance where you are tempted, God is providing a way for you to, be, to escape from it. He promises never to let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Never. Of course, the flip side to that is for us to recognize and admit with humility that the sins that we commit are our sins. God is faithful. He will pro provide a way of escape. God is faithful. He has given us his spirit. God is faithful. He has broken the power of sin. And so when we succumb to temptation, it is not God's fault because he has not taken this away from us. He has provided a way of escape. Uh, and I think about it, um, uh, an easy way to see this is um, with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, which we expand uh, rightly to consider um, submitting to the governing authorities. So it's easy for us in a position under authority to say, honor, <laughs> I will honor if the authority is respectable. Like if my father and mother isn't respectable, that gives me license. It's their fault. Like I can't do it. Or if I look at the president, whether it's the past president, present present president or the future president, they're not respectable, so therefore, why would I honor them? And we make up these, it's a, a temptation for us to break God's law, which we say it's outside of our control, so therefore, we don't need to do it. But God knows who he's asking you to honor, and he says, honor them, honor them. If you, have, if you are in Christ, the good news is that that power of sin is broken in your life. Yes, we continue to struggle with it, but it is a struggle that we should be able to win because we have been given power, we have been given a way of escape, and God is with us. He is working in us. We have the Spirit of 
Christ. And yet, beloved, we know that we continue to fail. We know that we, have, we continue to fail. And that is why we need to continue to cling to Christ and his perfection. And to be pointed back to this passage, to be reminded, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Every way. We cling to him in humility because we know that our hearts are not obedient, but his was. And so we cling to him in two ways. We rest in him and we grow in him. We rest in his obedience as being sufficient and satisfactory and the grounds of our salvation. So we rest in his obedience as the grounds of our salvation and we grow in our obedience as the result of our salvation. That same spirit works his holiness within us. He sanctifies us. And, you know, they say the best, the best defense is a good offense. Perhaps one way for us to consider this is to pursue. We've not just been set free to not sin, but to pursue righteousness. And so perhaps part of what we ought to be doing is to be considering how we can grow in righteousness. Not just, I'm afraid I'm not going to sin, but how can I actually do now that which is pleasing in God's sight? Now that Christ's Spirit is dwelling in me for that. Not just escape, but actually live out the righteousness of Christ. Um, but finally, friends, um, we ought to rejoice. Rejoice, because we have an advocate who's one of us. We have an advocate. We, we have a high priest who knows us so completely that he even endured the temptations that we face. One that sits at God's right hand and prays for you. He prays for you, and he prays for you knowing what you're going through, what you've gone through. He knows even the guilt of your sin. You may think, well, how, or, or he, he, he knows the, he's tempted to feel the despair even over your failures, because on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. So on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was all your failures. All your failures. And he was tempted even then to despair. But God was faithful to raise him from the dead and to seat him in his presence for you and for me, demonstrating his acceptance, his loving acceptance of his sacrifice on your behalf his loving sacrifice on your behalf for your sins so that you could be in his presence in Christ Jesus. And if you ever doubt that the Lord Jesus truly understands, as he's praying for you, he truly understands, hear him say, I understand your situation perfectly. I understand the temptations. I understand when you have succumbed to them. I understand the guilt and yet, that is why I came, and I lived, and I died. And I will pray for you, and I will pray for you, because my Father hears my voice, 
because of my faithfulness for you. For you. And you will be holy like I am holy because I was holy for you. In Isaiah chapter 40, there is a beautiful passage, beautiful statement that the prophet Isaiah says uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he was born. And it says that he will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And brothers and sisters, the magnificent glory of the tender mercy of our God ought to be staggering to you and to me. Because scripture, particularly the Old Testament, uses this language of sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. And what is the magnificent and glorious plan of this sovereign God but to send his son as a sheep. The shepherd takes on the sheep. He doesn't just smell like the sheep. He becomes one of the sheep. He experiences every temptation to wander away. And he does it to become the perfect, spotless Lamb of God to take away the sin of you and me and to bring you and me into his glory and to know us, to know us completely in every respect so that he could tenderly carry you in his arms through every temptation that you face, every aspect of your life. As the writer of Hebrews says, so that we would have mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers and sisters, that is our God. That is your God. That is your Savior. What marvelous grace. What an amazing God. Let's pray together. Father, you, your mercy is astounding to us. It is far greater than we deserve. And you are worthy of our abundant praise. Father, help us to have the confidence in knowing that your son was perfect for us, perfect in, so that he could take the penalty we deserve, perfect for our righteousness, and help us to live with confidence, knowing that he is for us, that you are for us forever and ever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.